0: Good morning. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you Uh, that you are the Lord of the Sabbath and that you have uh, come to give us rest. We praise you and thank you for that. I ask God that you would, uh, even as I talk about uh, these experiences, that you would bless your people uh, and inspire us to do your will, but to rest in your great love, we ask this in Christ's name, Amen. So, last week, uh, I've uh, got to. The, we're talking about the pilgrimage portion of my English, uh, England portion. So, uh, what, what I mean by that is that my family was there for two weeks. We went around. They left, and I went around and did church nerd kind of things and saw uh, sites that were uh, important to me and to my. Uh, to our faith heritage as heirs of the Church of England, and uh, one thing that I said, I said I went to Oxford and I kind of walked you around uh, Oxford. And um, it is, is it really hot in here? Is it pretty warm in here? Can somebody just can somebody maybe just touch that down a few a few notches? Um, and so we went to uh, after that. Went to Cambridge, and I said Cambridge wasn't that great, but I saw Holy Trinity Cambridge. One thing I forgot to tell you. I remember, uh, as I was thinking about this, is that I also went uh, to King's College Chapel. And King's College Chapel, um, oh, wow. King's Co- to call it a chapel might be a little bit of a modest, um, uh, a modest name for it. This is, uh, it is an absolutely magnificent building. Uh, their choir. Uh, like the, I think it's uh, choir of men and boys, or maybe they have different iterations. But it is uh, world famous. Uh, they uh, classes were out, so they were not having even song. I was disappointed. Uh, um, they were having a lot of parties. Uh, they did not invite me to those. But um, uh, but it was. Um, it is just an incredibly. Uh, I mean, you look, you see the light come streaming in. It's just even now, five hundred years later, is still wispy almost you know it's just um it's just so elegant uh this um screen is called a screen even though it's like you know eight feet thick of mahogany wood or something but it is uh it separates uh what we might call the nave from the choir the choir q-u-i-r-e is where the choir c-h-o-i-r sits and um and then the the uh, altar area. I think it's a Rembrandt at the back uh, there. This screen was given by Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn, and so um, so their initials are, are etched into it in a, a very elegant way, uh, and in a way that makes me incredibly uncomfortable. Despite all the grandeur and the soaring ceiling, is that the king's symbols are all throughout. The architecture, all in the, um, uh, they are all in the, the, the windows, they're all in the, the engraved all over everything, and it's just this sort of like blurry uh, deification um, uh, of is he or isn't he in fact divine? Yes, we know that Henry the Eighth uh, understood himself to be divinely appointed, um, but. But it just is, in a way, again, made me grateful for the separation of church and state. It made me um, a little bit uneasy just to see this sort of deification of the monarchy. We actually had an interesting discussion last night at our house. I don't think the current monarchy uh, or the um, Elizabeth or or Charles, I don't think they consider themselves in any way, you know, sort of deified, um, certainly social status or whatever, but... But it's just, they're not, they're not constructing churches to, to their honor either. And I just, but it was a, it is a magnificent um, building. And I, and I just was very pleased to go in there. And the fan, uh, I don't even remember the name, but the, the Josh, you probably, what's the, what's the architecture called? I'm sure you know. Fan Vault. The Fan Vault, yes. Judy Drake coming through. The Fan Vault uh, is, uh, the way that it is uh, structured uh, there was a display saying that behind the ed- behind the sort of facade is is this incredibly complex structure holding this thing up, and of course, it's... those are called flying buttresses. No, those are on the back, on the outside. The flying, flying, flying buttresses are on, on the outside. No, it's the inside uh, the columns that come up. They are supported on the outside by buttresses, but they um, on the inside you can see all the different beautiful fan out, but they all connect in a way that is structurally important. Um, Interesting, not particularly spiritually edifying to me—not uh, unedifying, just kind of indifferent. But um, I was grateful for the e- opportunity, nevertheless. But I just thought it was funny they call it the chapel, <laughs> not unlike what we call our chapel. So, yeah. All right. So then I went to Canterbury, and Canterbury is um, Canterbury Cathedral is sort of the seat of Anglicanism, although the Archbishop of Canterbury doesn't uh, doesn't live anywhere near there. He lives in London at uh, Lambeth Palace, and um, and Canterbury Cathedral is really run by the Bishop of Leeds, I think, is what the one. Um, but it's it's uh, it's it was uh, it's just an incredible structure. So this this of course is the view once you walk in the gate and can see it. It's always under construction in some way, always being uh, modified. This view, with the field in front is from the Franciscan um, gardens, and there's a gardens that ha- um, many, many centuries ago housed a Franciscan uh, community, and this is in fact the view that they would have had of the cathedral. Uh, there's a beautiful meadow, and they keep up the gardens really, really well. Uh, this statue, I, I sent a picture of, of I sent this picture to Elaine, and I, I said, I said, uh, I texted it to her, and I said, Elaine, if I don't make it back uh, alive, I want, to, I want you to make sure that they put a statue of me just like this near the, near the altar uh, at Church of Our Savior with sort of lounging like this. I just, that's the weirdest thing. I just, I mean, but it's right there, man, right behind the pulpit uh, at uh, Canterbury Cathedral. I have no idea who that guy is. I just thought it was hilarious. Um, it was really funny. Um, so, just this—these are two separate ends. So, this is um, standing at the back of Canterbury Cathedral, looking towards uh, towards from one end towards the other. You have this, and it is not light, i mean, it's bigger than King's Chapel. Uh, it is amazing. And then this, area, you go up these steps, and that's the center of the cathedral. It's, and then this is on the other side of that screen right there. Oh my gosh this our our, uh, our church building can fit inside of this and that three times uh, it is it is so big and uh, I've just never seen I've never been inside of a, a building with such architecture and it's just I mean St. Paul's actually is similar in some ways but not quite as big. it is magnificent. It was built originally in the 1200s. Burned down um, and then rebuilt the current, starting the 1500s. But they're always working on it. Uh, it's just—it was just magnificent. The, um, right behind here, you could go online and Google it. But there's a throne at the top, and that's the one that—the throne that the Archbishop of Canterbury is—is um, is sort of whatever what the coronator. or it's not crowned, but he's enthroned, I guess, as the Archbishop. Canterbury in that throne has been, the Archbishop of Canterbury has been since the 600s. It's amazing. In that one chair, that same chair, it's fantastic. But In the choir area uh, is where they have even song uh, each night, and uh, the dean of the cathedral of Canterbury came both nights I was there uh, and officiated one of the nights and addressed and welcomed everyone. I thought, I was so impressed with him that um, that's just part of his ministry, that he just comes and greets the people. I mean, I feel like he's got a gajillion clergy he could send to do that. I did take uh, communion. Not, when they do it, they do it, um, there's a crypt underneath, down below this this part. And um, and it was, uh, that's where they do communion at 8 o'clock in the morning. And I went there, and it was one of the other the other priests, um, and not him. But it was, he actually asked me about it. He said, well, how, how did you like communion? And, I mean, it was just, he was just such an engaging, uh, kind person, and that's his ministry—is to welcome the world. I think um, there's so many tourists that come through there. Um, let me just say that walking around, walking around the cathedral, uh, I think I've told you like, and I don't remember how much I've uh, spoken about this, but I, I am—I've always been such a Reformation person. Uh, the Reformation meaning uh, the time when the uh, doctrines of the Catholic Roman Catholic Church in the 1500s were challenged, there was a, a massive turn towards scripture, the doctrine of justification by faith alone, through grace alone, uh, which was uh, not uh, penned, it was discovered or rediscovered in the pages, particularly of Romans and, and Galatians by Martin Luther, and, and it just inspired, really changed the entire face of history. And I've always been so inspired by the Reformation and, um, and, and by its doctrines and by its heroes and, and, and like Thomas Cranmer uh, and others who were martyred for their, their faith and uh, has meant so much to me. And, and I expected going to Canterbury Cathedral to, to read of Thomas Cranmer and, and the separation from Rome and, and this is, you know, we've established the Church of England. And you know, sometimes when you go to a place like this, a faraway place like this, and and you see something that you've always dreamed of and or or read about or whatever, it's not what you expect. And it's not that it was disappointing in any way; it was just di- completely different than I expected. Because they uh, they have some dis- real disdain for the Reformation. Not that they long necessarily to go back to Rome, but it was um, these people who embraced these doctrines that I love so much, who took it a little step further and tried to um, take out any part of church that was not found explicitly in Scripture, like stained glass or stonework or um, you know statue, statues. What's that? Fresco. The frescoes. Yeah, they would rip out the frescoes. They would throw bricks through the stained glass windows. They would, all for the glory of Jesus, right? And they would cut off. I mean, there's still plenty of statues around. I wish I'd taken some pictures that where their heads are just off, and it's not because they like crumbled over time. It's because the reformers, not the leaders, but the riffraff, they came in, and and uh, probably the blessing of the leaders, but they um, they they destroyed the church. And so, um, th- what what is so still so near and dear to the heart of Canterbury Cathedral is uh, the name of Thomas. Becket, who was um, the archbishop who was murdered on the orders, supposedly accidental uh, orders of the king. It's a fascinating story. Uh, and where the king said, who will, re-? he was actually, uh, had been, parliament, right? pardon me? What? He was up in the parliament and they just overheard him outside. Right? Or dinner or something like that. So um, so Thomas had been uh, one of, a really good friend of the king and had been a... Um, had been a close advisor of the king. And I wish I could remember exactly which king it was. Someone here knows, I'm sure. But it was, um, and this is in the 11, 1200s. And um, but then he, so he appointed his friend uh, in order to gain control and to misuse his authority, he uh, appointed his friend the Archbishop of Canterbury. And he said, "Well, now things are different because I'm the Archbishop of Canterbury. Now I've got to attend to the church." And they came at loggerheads over issue after issue. And finally, uh, the King, in his exasperation, and I thought he was at dinner, but maybe he was in Parliament, when he said, they at parliament they said, they said that the windows were always open. And the windows, and the windows were, were open. Outside of, like, when you're looking at Big Ben and Parliament, they were it, up in Parliament. And well, the king was somewhere near an open window, and, uh, and there were guards outside. And, um, and he said, who will rid me of this troublesome priest? And four knights uh, said, ooh, we will, and uh, thought it took it as an order, and went and murdered him uh, right down. You can't, I didn't take a picture of it, but there's a little place on, where he was praying, as he was praying. And his remains were kept, and there was a shrine that was constructed. The king actually uh, crawled through the streets of Canterbury and came and repented in tears. I mean, it's actually quite a moving uh, recounting of, of his, uh, his sorrow over the death of, of the archbishop. But um, people would come for a couple hundred years uh, from all over to make pilgrimage and uh, pray at the shrine of Thomas a Becket and... Um, Miraculous healings were said to have happened, and, and things. And then Henry VIII had it torn down, um, in during his day, so it wasn't it wasn't great to have that uh, Catholic Archbishop's shrine in his cathedral. So anyway, very fascinating. Just it was a, it was a sort of eye-opening thing for me. This is uh, the oldest English-speaking church in the world. Uh, when When Archbishop Augustine, or Bishop Augustine, was commissioned by the um, not Augustine of Hippo, but I'm sure he was named after Augustine of Hippo, he was commissioned by the Pope to come to this wasteland, uh, the Saxon land of of England, and convert the heathens. And he came, and he uh, came to King Ethelbert, who was a pagan king, in Canterbury. But Ethelbert's wife was from France, and she was a Christian. Her name was Bertha. And Ethelbert had made her a small chapel, and it was on this site. And that is where Augustine began his mission, this right here, and it is still an active church today. Now, it's not all the same stonework, obviously. You can see different colors of of stones and bricks and things that are, are in there. Uh, from over the years. But this is the site, and it is an active Church of England uh, church, and it has been that way since the uh, late 500s, early 600s. The oldest English-speaking church uh, in the world. And it's near, it's, I walked there from Canterbury Cathedral, so it's a mile or two uh, away. But uh, that was really neat. And then there's also a, uh, uh, the ruins of uh, an abbey there, and that was not as impressive uh, to me. But it, but some people love it. Uh, I didn't take a lot of pictures of that. But Canterbury was really wonderful. Uh, I met somebody who was staying there for like two weeks. And I don't know what in the world you would do there for two weeks. But uh, it was still really, really great. Questions about Canterbury? Comments? Who's the statue? Oh, sorry. It's St. Martin's Church. And that's, uh, that is um, Queen uh, Bertha. Uh, say, uh, so let me read it. Uh, St. Martin's is the oldest church in the English-speaking world and has been described as the mother church of Canterbury Cathedral. The chancel is the oldest part of the church with Roman brickwork, so may date back to the time of the Roman Empire or have been built by the mid-6th century from salvaged bricks. The church was given in the late 6th century by the pagan king Edward of Alberta Kent to his French bride Bertha, who was a Christian, for her use as a place of worship. In 595, Pope Gregory sent Augustine and a group of monks to evangelize the people of England. And on Augustine's arrival in 597, Ethelbert allowed them to worship at St. Martin's. Soon afterwards, Ethelbert was baptized here by Augustine as a Christian. Augustine established his mission at St. Martin's before founding the first St. Augustine's Abbey and Canterbury Cathedral. So, really, really neat. So, world, a UNESCO World Heritage Site in recognition of their significance in establishing Christianity in the Anglo-Saxon Kingdom. So, pretty, pretty neat, incredible history there. How many members, like that? A dozens, at least. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't have any idea <laughs> how many, but it is, it is active. They have a, a vicar and yeah, so. all right, and then I went to uh, this is St. Paul's Cathedral. Then I, after Canterbury, I left and went. To London and uh, where I'd started with the family but I went and saw uh, a lot of the church sites and one of the main sites I went to was St. Paul's Cathedral and it is just breathtaking. Uh, it is in a way distractingly breathtaking but it is, um, it is marvelous and uh, just the ornate uh, this, this I took a picture of the uh, altar cross because it's I mean I don't know like 600 pounds of solid gold uh, it is. It's just amazing, uh, and and I loved being there. I took communion there, one uh, the Sunday I was there. Um, I went to church s- there at eight o'clock, and then I went to another church at eleven o'clock, and then I went to another church at, at five uh, five o'clock um, because I can. Um, but when I worship, I wanted to just kind of share with you what I um, my worship experience when I went to take communion at. St. Paul's Cathedral. I went in saying, "I'm going to hate the sermon." <laughs> I know I'm going to hate the sermon, um, and I was right. Uh, the uh, uh, I went in expecting to be judgmental, and I was a little. The priest was a very young man who seemed sleepy at first. He preached on Luke 15, the lost sheep and the lost coin. His question was, "What have you lost?" And at first, I was judgmental begging him in my mind to tell us what uh, tell us that we are lost and we are only found in Christ but somewhere in there I realized that the fact that I might not preach it the same way he did did not mean that it did not have value so what have I lost actually quite a lot and that's why I'm here i need more than rest or a break i need rejuvenation I need to regain the joy of my salvation. I've been often so focused on the seriousness of salvation that I'm sometimes, and maybe most of the time, not stopping to wonder in and to enjoy, to be gobsmacked by the fact that Jesus has saved me from my sins. I felt sorry for myself for the difficulty of what I've had to endure and forgotten that God really is so much bigger. I can cut myself some slack on that, but this has to be a time of regaining joy in Christ. Not in seeing England or mountain biking in Wyoming, as awesome as those things are. That is happiness. I need a recovery of joy. And I can find it by attending to you, Jesus, in the scriptures and in prayer. By recounting your works. By bringing specific requests to you and recording them and seeing how you answer them. By letting the realities of your goodness Holiness and strength overwhelm the things that might otherwise overwhelm me. So it was kind of a, you know, it was just a good moment for me spiritually to realize, okay, just because I wouldn't preach it like this doesn't mean it's not that I can't find value in it. What have I lost? And it really took me in a a really nice uh, direction. Um, St. Paul's, of course, has a lot of history. It was a beacon of hope to the English people uh, during the bombings uh, in World War II. And um, it is, if you have a chance, uh, I can't recommend it enough. You can go up to the very top of the, uh, of the tower and look out all across London. That's a really, it, they don't have an elevator. It's a lot of steps, but, um, <laughs> but it's a really, really cool thing. So St. Paul's Cathedral is, is worth a trip. And, and I went, so I went to worship there, but I also went there, paid the admission price and just wandered around. And, um, and during that time uh, at noon, they say prayers. And this priest, the lady, got up, and she said the prayers. And uh, at the microphone, at the in this giant place, and everybody's taking pictures and talking and wondering about Princess Diana and all this stuff. And, um, and she's happily going on about her prayers. And I actually pulled her aside, and I said, you know, I told her who I was, and and I said, how, how is it? And she said, you know, yeah. it's really great because... Um, because, yes, people, a lot most people aren't paying attention. But every now and then, you have someone, it just arrests them, and they pull you aside and ask you about Jesus. Or they ask you why you're doing what you're doing. Or they ask, you know, it just means is so meaningful to them. And, and this, the ministry of this place, and she was actually the vicar of a nearby church, and they kind of, I guess, take turns in rotation. But she said the, the ministry of this place is that we are open to the world. And we proclaim it, and as the Lord uses us, and it was just, again, such a neat thing. I could, I could easily have looked at it and said, man, they're just going through the motions, you know. And, and yet her perspective was so much better and more righteous and less cynical and just said, you know, I'm going to do my job and God's going to use me when he uses me. And I just was really blessed, uh, blessed by that. St. Paul's, it was a great, great place. This is me at the top. Um, and you can see the Rhine uh, the, uh, River. Rhine? Thames, gosh, sorry, wrong trip. Um, the Thames River with the uh, the Millennium uh, Ferris wheel in the back and, and such. So it was, it was uh, yeah, it was great. Did you go up in the dome? Yeah, that's where that is, at the very top. But did you go? Up oh, there? no, I did not go. In. They weren't allowing people in the, in the dome itself. Oh. Yeah, this is above the dome, but um, they, you couldn't get out at the dome. Do you know about the whispering in the dome? Well, why don't you tell us? I know, of course, but why don't you, I'll give you the. No, I don't know. You can, you can have two people and you can whisper at one place and it goes around. Clear across the other you. side. Absolutely, because we did it. Wow. <laughs> Fascinating. Well, I didn't get to do that, but it didn't matter because I was there by myself. I wouldn't have had anybody to whisper to. So, um, whisper. whisper and run. Whisper, yeah, that's right. I mean, can. So this was. Um, uh, all So, so this is where I went in the uh, at the eleven o'clock hour, and this is called All Souls Langham Place. And um, this is the church where John Stott was the rector for uh, many, many years. John Stott was a great evangelical uh, Anglican, uh, published all sorts of books and commentaries, and uh, was never a never got a doctorate, I don't except uh, probably a dozen uh, honorary doctorates. But um, had an amazing ministry throughout the, um, throughout the developing world. He made, I'm sure, millions of dollars from his books, but he died penniless because he gave all of his money to missions in Africa and, um, and this, in the, southern, the southern hemisphere. And uh, he died about 10 years ago, just an incredible hero. And the worship there was just so alive. And so it was a fairly traditional space. They had, like most places, uh, they were influenced by Holy Trinity. Brompton taken away uh, the altar. If they if they had communion, they would have put in a, a table, um, and um, they had screens and, and stuff. So, uh, but it was a it was alive. It was just a live, uh, wonderful worship, and um, it was really it was a great experience. In fact, um, I was there and I sat next to this other man, and he was there by himself. he was a member there, or at least attended there, but his uh, wife and uh, daughter were in Eastern Europe on vacation or something like that. He was, uh, he was from Northern Ireland, but had lived in Australia, and his wife was from Arkansas. So he was a, <laughs> a global man, and um, afterwards he said, hey, do you want to get some coffee? I said, sure. And so he rented me a bike, paid, paid for, uh, he, he's like, oh, yeah, I rode my bike here. I'll just take you on a little tour. And we rode uh, bikes, and he had his bike, and he rented me a bike. And about two miles away, I felt my pocket, and I did not have my phone. So we rode back to the church, oh. got my phone, rode back. He was so gracious. He was like, well, let's just go. I don't really have time for the rest of the tour now, but let's go get some coffee. And he bought my coffee and just listened to me. And he didn't know me from anything, but just took the opportunity and uh, kind of was knowledgeable about some of the stuff going on in the in the Episcopal Church and stuff. But just he didn't project anything. He just asked questions, listened. He said, let me pray for you. And he put his hand on my shoulder in this British park with my little iced latte, and he just prayed for me. And then he took me to uh, the train station where I was meeting a friend from high school, if you can believe that. And... Um, and said, "I'll see you later." I never even knew his last name. Colin was his was his name, and I never. But it was such. It just was like the the most amazing gift of hospitality. Such an incredible little uh, not. And Angela could probably be overstating it, but but just it was a really wonderful gift uh, to me. It was great. That night I went. I don't think I've got pictures of it. That night I went to um, to Holy Trinity Brompton, which is uh, where out Al- the Alpha course began. And uh, just a really very, very influential, but very evangelical, you almost wouldn't recognize it. They did do communion, and I, it was disjointed because they did this like traditional communion in this sort of almost like, 11, it's like 1122 brings the Book of Common Prayer, and it was, it felt weird. It really did. But I was really blessed by it, and they uh, had a time of prayer afterwards, kind of like we do at communion, but it was like 25 prayer ministers, and I went up and he prayed for me, and and it was, and I just cried, and it was great. So, um, so that was a, a great Sunday. Let's see. I think that's actually maybe a video, but it's not playing. So, oh yeah, he's trying to. Um, so I spent some of the rest of the week going to like museums and stuff. And so this, this is at the uh, Modern Museum of Art, which modern modern art is so weird. I mean, it's like it's. <laughs> Like I don't really like it, but I just felt like. And so this is actually a Jackson Pollock, which is was um, was pretty great. Uh, then I went to the um, history, natural history. No, I did go to the natural history museum, but this is from the um, the artifacts museum, the giant artifact museum. It's really famous, but it's not called. This is the Rosetta Stone. Oh, nice. oh wow! And. Uh, the Museum of Natural History? No, I don't think it was. The British Museum. It's just called the, it's just the British Museum. Um, I should be able to remember that. But it was, I mean, so I don't, I'm not a big, I, don't, I get tired quickly when I go and see a lot of artifacts, and, uh, and, the, and I did. Get, but, but seeing the Rosetta Stone, if you don't know the Rosetta Stone, they were, um, they couldn't figure out hieroglyphics. They just couldn't crack the code for centuries. Couldn't crack the code of the hieroglyphics. Then they found the Rosetta Stone, and it has the hieroglyphics, and it has um, the common language of Egypt, and it has Greek. And it all says the same thing. And that was the key that allowed them to understand hieroglyphics, and it just completely exploded the study of ancient Egypt. And, um, and it is super, super famous and, um, and influential and, and incredibly important. And so... Um, so that was really, really great to go and see uh, the Rosetta Stone, and that was definitely the best thing at the British Museum, at least for me. I took a lot of other pictures, of there's like these, from Assyria, they have these um, long, long uh, frescoes, basically, that that some of them kind of tell the stories that are recognizable from the Bible, but... I didn't think you'd really want to hear much about that, so I didn't put it in. This is this uh, from the Shakespeare Museum, who, and this is a, a quote from King Lear: um, "Who is it that can tell me who I am?" And I just, I mean, there's a, probably a lot more. I did not get to go into the the replica of the of the theater in the round, and um, but it was. I just thought that was such a. I'm going to use that but I, um, in a sermon. Who who is it, King Lear? Who is it that can tell me who I am? Like, what what a what a uh, human question, uh, but the museum itself was really more for children, but somehow I somehow I felt right at home. But it was, um, it was a really wonderful uh, experience about Shakespeare and it talked about his influence uh, on literature. So these other pieces of art uh, are at the, the um, National Gallery, which is essentially like the Metropolitan Museum of Art in England. And I've never been to a museum of that quality by myself where I had nowhere else to be except to walk and wander around, where an artifact museum makes me tired, and this kind of art museum makes me really excited. And, uh, and I spent a lot of time, four or five hours, just wandering through there. Caravaggio is absolutely probably my favorite classical painter. This is Caravaggio. Um, this is the depiction of the... Uh, the Road to Emmaus, or or the meal at the end of the Road to Emmaus, where Jesus—he doesn't have a beard, and I don't know why. But he—they finally understand who he is, and it would be Jesus right before he disappears. This uh, is the resurrected Lord. Maybe it's because he's resurrected; he doesn't have a beard. But that doesn't make any sense to me. But um, I love Caravaggio, and just the expressions on on the faces, particularly if you look at um, the uh, the the doubt what is it, the, the Doubting Thomas picture, the um, incredulity of Thomas is, is the, the furrowed brows, and it's, just, it's I just, all of his paintings are, are fantastic. So that's Caravaggio, this of course is Monet, and uh, one of many, many famous um, French uh, Impressionist works. Uh, this painting actually was in, uh, over, hung over, not, not this painting, but a, pic, a copy of this painting, Hung over my um, parents uh, in my parents' house, growing all growing up over the piano. Uh, so I thought that was neat. And this was by an artist that you've never heard of, and I can't—I'd have to go back and look and uh, to recall the name of it. But I, it is the um, the Good Samaritan. So this is the Good Samaritan picking up the guy who uh, was beaten. You can see that if you look closely, you see the two priests that are running away. Uh, this is the mule that he's uh, putting him up on, and I just was captured by it. I just thought it was such a wonderful uh, thing, just and the fact that I hadn't heard of this artist didn't mean that it didn't have so much uh, to offer. And it was just just this really wonderful afternoon of walking through um, through there and just being blessed. But one thing that they had a special uh, and so neat that it comes on this this day we're doing the blessing of the animals, but um, they had a special exhibit uh, on Saint. Francis and the art that has been done by him. <laughs> And um, and I learned I've always I've always really had a lot of resentment not resentment but disdain for St. Francis. Uh, I've kind of put up with the fact that there's a statue here, um, I, uh, which is generously and wonderfully given by some incredibly wonderful people. Um, but I just it's just he's never never been a thing for me. And I know that it's I know why we have it because Saint Father Bill was an animal lover, and um, in the best way. But I think for me, it had to do with uh, um, somebody who identified themselves as a Franciscan when I was in seminary and kind of made a big deal about it and wore this habit, a great habit everywhere, and, uh, and was kind of a jerk. And uh, I just didn't really think much about that. And, and, was, um, and, and seeing St. Francis in this way totally changed it for me in, in a way that was uh, really surprising. Um. Uh, This is also Caravaggio, and it is uh, an early Caravaggio work, but it is um, the angel coming to St. Francis, and I believe this is where, although I don't see it on his hand, but St. Francis actually received the stigmata, which was the marks of of the wounds of Christ. He was, I mean, he was probably, he was pretty weird, and I probably wouldn't, like, want to hang out with him, but, but he was so faithful, so courageous, and so inspiring, uh, to just so 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 many people, uh, but and he really seemed to just truly 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 love Jesus, and and so he talked about lady poverty and 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 things like he just was happy to have nothing except Christ, and it was so wonderful. And this is a picture of him uh, in prayer, and um, he's always shown with a skull. And I wish somebody may know more about that, but yeah, I, I, I don't I don't know, uh, but it but I think he. He clung sort of like the Stoics, memento mori, like he always kept his life in the perspective of his own death and tried to live each day. That would be my best guess uh, about that. But he's often shown with with a skull. This is said to be his actual habit, uh, the the actual habit of of St. Francis. I tried to figure out a way to work St. Francis into my sermon today, and it just seemed forced and didn't fit. But... um, but he was, in a sense, like the son who said, I'm not doing it, and then turned, had a change of heart because he was from a very wealthy family and he was kind of a playboy and then uh, just t- turned his life and, and left, left everything um, uh, to follow Jesus. And it was just, I, was, I left that day thinking, I'd really like to learn more about this. And, um, and so that's quite surprising, I think, to, to some people who know me particularly um, my Reformation stuff, but it was, just, uh, it was just wonderful. This is another great opportunity to learn more about things that I don't know a lot about. That I've it, 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 You probably don't do this, but it, sometimes when you don't know a lot of, about something, you tend to think you know everything and, and push it away. And, um, and I just found out that I should know more about this wonderful Christian man. He not only turned his life around but he gave up his heritage and his wealth. And oh, yeah, he completely left everything. He is, everything. Yeah, and, and his father, who kind of was like the son who said, you know, I've got it all together, but then didn't do what he said. He's, he, um, his father was incredibly hard on him and um, beat him for, you know, tried to beat him into his senses and, and have him come back and then just disowned him, basically. But he did, he, he, they kind of disowned each other. Um, it was really—I don't know—it was—I it was, was very moved by this uh, by this exhibit. This was the last thing that I did. I went to this church uh, called Saint Marylebone, and I think that's how you just pronounced Saint Marylebone. And I went there because um, uh, because Charles Wesley's grave was there. I also wanted to see Isaac Watts, and I couldn't make it over there to Watts. But Charles Wesley was a, uh, the brother of John Wesley. He's a great hymn writer. We sing Charles Wesley's hymns all the time uh, here, and uh, this is where he was buried. His, um, it's not very well done if you look closely. It looks like somebody took a sharpie and, and just uh, and got, tried to darken in the uh, engraving to, so you could read it. But it just says, uh, "With poverty of spirit, blessed, blessed rest, happy saint in Jesus rest, a sinner saved through grace forgiven, redeemed from earth to reign in heaven." and labors of unwearied love by Thee forgot or crowned above, crowned through the uh, merit of Thy Lord with a free, full, immense reward. Um, It was just really special. That was basically the last thing I did. And I took a picture of this, which I thought was fantastic. It's uh, Jesus um, carrying the cross, which is the X and the exit sign. And um, I sent a picture to Elaine. And she of course, had one commissioned for me and uh, for my birthday, which is just hanging over my door in my office. I should have brought it in. Um, But that was my pilgrimage, and it was such a gift to me. And I um, felt like I had gotten what I needed. I was ready to come home and see my family. I've been away from them for 12 days at this point. Um, But just to have the time to write and to think and to walk and to sleep um, was an incredible gift. And I've said many times, like, you know, all the stuff with the diocese, like I felt like I was just, like you're crammed. If I was, you know, one of those caravaggio, if I was crammed with my face up against it for five months, I wouldn't like that caravaggio very much, right? You know, but (laughs) but getting away from it, getting some perspective, and actually able to see the beauty of the calling that God has on my life, and the parish that I get to work with, and the people I get to work with, and the and even the privilege of some of the hard stuff, like it's just. it was great to get that perspective. So thank you very much for that gift. Awesome. I think that's it. Yep. That's it for the pilgrimage part. Next week I'll talk about going to the mountains and um, and out west, and that'll be the last the last little bit. Did you didn't yeah, go yeah. see the manuscript Atticus. I did not. You so seem the same disappointed. Building the uh, the uh, Rosetta stone. Oh, well. Um, you'll have to tell me about that sometime. But I was, I mean, I was just, I, all those artifacts, man, it just makes me tired. I, I probably should have. I don't know. You don't even know what you're talking about, actually. So. Well, it's the oldest manuscript known. It's considered the number one manuscript of the New Testament by many scholars. All right. <laughs> I should have. <laughs> but you can't do what you don't know yes ma'am Emily um, let to say that I'm so inspired by your your pilgrimage and the way that you um, presented it I, I won't be here next week and I'm just kind of sad that I won't be here to hear your last one but what I want to say is um, yeah I've been to London several times you know England times, but man this is what you have presented, I haven't seen half of that. Mm. But my point, though, is have you thought about taking what you have have gained from this, the pictures, your um, diary, if you will, your journal, mm-hmm. and putting it all together so someone else can benefit from it? For instance, the cl- some other clergy? Um, I would think that... What I have thought of, I know I have not thought of it quite like that. But what I have thought of is that is about perhaps taking an Anglican heritage tour, uh, like we did. Went to Jerusalem a couple of years ago. Um, okay. Taking that, so, yeah. So that would be that would be a lot of fun. But I just thought that so many other people can benefit from this. So yeah, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Anything else, Mike? Why did you decide where to start? I don't know. Do you remember how I decided where to start? I I think that um, I think I just said, "Well, what what do I think I need?" And and I wanted to. I'd always wanted to. Honestly, I'd always wanted to see where the martyrs were killed. That was. That was probably the first thing. That was the first thing in Oxford, and it kind of built around that. That just it's just what what was most meaningful to me, and then kind of went. From there, if I'm going to be there, what else? What else should I see? And that's kind of how it. Yeah. Get the Hogwarts. <laughs> we, actually, we tried to convince our kids to go to Hogwarts um, when they were there, and they didn't want. They didn't want anything of we saw, it. We saw no. the. In, I mean, in Scotland, we saw you know the school that you know. That was in Scotland, school. yeah. Right. We saw like Diagon Alley. You know yeah. that she used. We saw the the um, cemetery. The Great Friar's Cemetery. Walked, she walked through, and we saw like the names of where she got names from the, for the book, like Thomas Ridley. You know, like they were all you know, and McGonagall. Like it was, probably, mm-hmm. and we saw. So we saw some Hogwarts stuff. We saw some Hogwarts stuff in, in Edinburgh, but we did not go on the uh, Warner Brothers tour in in London, kids. Oh, I thought Oxford looked like. Uh, yeah the, the hall. well in the dining hall yeah they yeah, somewhere I've got a picture of, of yeah the used they used of parts of that mm-hmm. yeah. Very nice. all right go get your puppies I guess and we'll see you in a little bit. <laughs>